I'm the kind of person that gets laser focused on things and I'm laser focused in anything I'm passionate about. And I don't deviate from that because I don't want to lose sight of my objective. Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host today, Alan Bolin. Also joining me is Evan Williams from Hoyt, and we have the great pleasure of speaking with Marlon Holden today. Marlon, welcome to the show. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, buddy, glad how to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, on. We're, we're we're glad to uh, to have you on, man. You are you're the mule deer guy, so you know I, I love mule deer too. I know Evan does as well. So Absolutely. we're gonna have a lot of fun today. So. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, just high level, tell us why mule deer and, and do you hunt anything else by the way? Cause I see you like on social with just buck after buck. Yeah, I do not hunt anything else. Really? <laughs> it's a, it, it, so I've helped uh, multiple friends call and pack elk off the mountain. Um, I've been on hunts where I've assisted other people with like antelope and stuff like that. Um, they're all cool. They all have yeah. their own, uh, special and unique qualities. And I think that, um, you know, whatever tickles your fancy, right? Like mule deer for me are just this, um, they're this mountain monarch. Uh, to, when I think of the West, I think of, you know, giant mountains and high wide racks and uh. mule deer just simply fit the bill. When I think of whitetail, I think of these elusive creatures of the thick timber, the, you know, the hard hardwoods, right? And, and that's not always the case. Obviously there's places that are like low and, you know, in the plains and the flats and the fields that have lots of whitetail. But I think, I think hardwoods when I think whitetail with, with mule deer, they're just like this incredible monarch and they just scream, um, independent, you know, yeah. they, they ring true to the Western mountains and they hold this kind of allure because they are truly elusive and magic in nature. And I just love them. They're just so they're awesome. So no, I don't hunt anything else. I've helped. Um, I don't like packing out out quarters. It sucks. Here you can get the whole thing in a single pack. You know, it's like yeah. with an elk, you got to bring a fork and a knife and stay there for a week, and then maybe you can get out of there with one pack. But like, it's just uh, it, it's just the kind of thing where you know they're they're um, they're really smart when them when you're one on one with a, a mature buck. There's yes. nothing like hunting one. So yep. no, yeah, it's strictly mule deer. And I'm Big mature mule deer buck is one of the most formidable opponents or animals to hunt in North America. I know that to be very true. I mean, a young mule deer buck, they're not that smart, but a big mature mule deer buck is really something. Mm-hmm. Um, how many states do you hunt regularly or, or what's what's your kind of your regimen? I mean, I know you, you hunt several states a year, right? Yeah, I, I hunt at least, uh, I would say I hunt at least three or four, sometimes five. It just depends on, uh, access of a tag that year, you know, how challenging it is to get one. Mm-hmm. As you know, now it's getting tougher. You're going to have, you have to be a lot more on the ball with, um, you know, the first come first serve type systems that are available now. So it really, at the end of the day, it just has to do with availability, but I'll hit as many as I can. Yeah. Okay. And that's soon going to have to start branching out into, you know, more different country type stuff. We're going to have to start going North and South a little bit more um, to create more opportunity, but uh, yeah. Yeah. 
So, so what states do you hunt regularly? Um, you know, basically anything uh, west of the divide. I haven't hunt. I haven't hunted anything really east of the divide. I've been into Kansas mm-hmm. uh, for whitetail probably twelve years ago. Uh, decided that really wasn't my cup of tea. I did it twice. Yeah, and I, and I, and I, I kind of like that. that. He's not. I remember the text message I got from him on that hunt back when I was in Colorado working at a pro shop. And it yeah. was it was one of those. I am never doing this again. Not my cup of tea. You can keep it because no, it's the same frustration. I feel every time I pick a tree is like, yep, this is this is the tree. This is where it's going to happen. And sure enough, it is, you know, just outside of bow range of where I needed to be every single time so yeah it's a it's a weird thing um you know i I have a lot of respect for you both of you that can do that like everyone listening that can do that i I just um you know it's funny because the whitetail that i ended up killing was a beautiful 10 point um and i ended up killing that deer spot stock He, he he was running running around chasing these does out in this big old open pasture and the grass was probably like two feet tall and there was blackjacks surrounding it so he'd run in in and out of the blackjacks chasing these does around and he was locked in on this one he'd go right out in the middle of the field he'd chase her like a bat out of hell and then he'd just drop to the ground with her and they'd drop to the ground for 30 40 minutes at a time i'm like okay so there's a pattern here with this and the wind was going probably 12 miles an hour and i said you know what that looks perfect to me. As soon as he dropped, I started D-lining in the last, say, 150 yards. It was super, super quiet. And I got a 65-yard shot on that buck, and I killed him. And um, that was fun. That kind of like, I was like, okay, if I could do this every year, that would be kind of cool, you know. But yeah, um, my first and only whitetail was a spot and stock whitetail in eastern Kansas. Yeah, and that's, that, I mean, that's how I try to do it too. So I find, you know, I've got a couple spots where I can get in the woods and, you know, if I have the right area, but a lot of what I'm doing is finding a hill or honestly a, an oil derrick or, or something like that and trying to get up on top and glass big CRP fields or, you know, limestone <laughs> ravines and cuts. And I, I've done it. I, I have, I have climbed up on the hood of my truck and got either on the hood or even up on the cab for the spotting scope standing to try and get some elevation. If you're in far West Kansas, that's definitely a good way to go about it. I, the further East, I mean, even, even West central, it becomes mm-hmm. more difficult to do that because you get more Creek bottoms just stacked with trees. But you know what? Let's get off whitetail. Yes, because, please. <laughs> and so, so what, what methods of hunting, is it all spot and stock? Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a certain set of, of rules that I follow uh, in, in business and in life and in hunting, and, and it's, it's called make your luck. So I am a dyed in the wool, true and true um, spot and stock mule deer hunter, just simply because I know, you know, the, the recipe there. I don't really like, uh, I, I look at escape routes and, um, you know, any type of setting up on deer and trying to ambush them. I look at that as, as, you know, you messed up already and mm-hmm. you need to try and recover and make uh, lemonade out of the lemons that you just got dealt that. So I, I'm always a default spot and stock and putting myself in country that's conducive to doing that. 
versus just spinning the tail on the donkey and going somewhere that's not going to allow me to make my success and make my luck. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I will always default to spot and stock. I love getting up high in the desert or, you know, glassing long with, with big guys and, and putting the glass to work and really finding sifting through the animals, so to speak, to find the one that I'm after. Do you use, um, I call this, I mule deer hunt a ton as well. And, um, I, um, I call it stock and weight. Um, what, what I do a lot, I'm wondering if you, if you use this at all is I'll get into, you know, sometimes I feel like I can't really push it to where I can see the deer in, in his bed, but I know, I mean, I know where the deer is. Let's say that given the given terrain, like I can get into say 55, 60 yards, but I can't see the deer. And I know if I, if I push the deer, if I push it further, maybe I can like see the deer and get a better shot. And let me even say this, like sometimes that's a hundred yards. Sometimes it's out of range, but I know that the way I look at it is if I push it further, what are the odds that I shoot that deer like closer and then I weigh that against the odds of if I wait here, what are the odds he walks my way when he gets up? And maybe the odds are 50, 50 that he walks my way. And then I think, well, if I stop closer, I actually think my odds might only be 30%. So I decide to what I call stock and wait. I go in very close, like within a hundred yards. And sometimes I'll wait given a certain situation. And sometimes they walk the other way but sometimes they walk my way. Do you use that at all? Um, so you're hunting extremely difficult terrain. You're hunting. Um, I'm just going to throw it out there. You're hunting the Wasatch front a lot. Um, and, 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 you know, you don't really have too much of a choice. If I were to, if I were to bet money on that scenario, you're, you're in, you're in a situation where candidly, um, you don't, you, you can't, do anything different than that, Alan, because if you do, it's just, you're going to be crashing brush and there's just going to be um, multiple uh, issues that you're going to have um, in your hunt scenario that, that, you know, ultimately won't end up panning out for you if you do otherwise. Mm-hmm. I've haunted places like that before. Um, and, and it's just simply not my first pick. Um, mm-hmm. I know that I know that hunting a particular buck and falling in love with an animal's history and doing the homework on that deer, um, especially if it's like home range or it's hallowed ground where you know every crease of the land and it's just like ingrained in a part of your DNA is who you are, how that can be mm-hmm. a passion chase. Um, but I've often found that you need to put in, you know, 50 to 60 days a year to mm-hmm. make a hunt like that actually pan out the way you want it and being yeah. so far out of state um and not having that kind of time to put into one particular place you know i'll give a place 10 to 12 days sometimes 15 days yeah that's a good amount of time um, you know it's enough time for me to, to find a solid buck and, and put him on the ground in a spot mm-hmm. stock scenario but if i'm gonna so a lot of these deer as you very well know like on the front they get pushed around so much like a mature buck might get stocked 
60, 70, 80 times mm-hmm. in a yeah. year. Or yeah, bumped yeah. around that much. Bumped around <laughs> for sure. And bumped around enough to where a mature one's going to know when season starts because he's going to see the headlight mafia heading up the ridges. And he's going to like go to where his traditional, you know, staging areas are and try and hide in the timber. And you're either going to figure him out or wait for him to come out during the rut. But there's going to be a lot of time in between that put into it. Whereas if you do this to a, and I think the front is a, an exception. I think that everywhere else in the West is kind of like more of the standard where you don't have that type of, uh, you know, crowd of people hunting a very pressured buck. that's very difficult. Um, you, you, when you get on like a, a 180 or 190 class buck in any given terrain, whether it's a desert or the high country, you, you traditionally have one good shot at that animal. Um, you might get a second opportunity, but you're going to work really hard for it. And I'm not saying you don't on the front. You're going to have to, if you get that shot on the front, oftentimes that's the only shot you got. Sure. He's going to get bumped around by a bunch of other guys. But like, let's say a deer is in his summer basin and you're going up a ridge to get into position on a deer that you've seen bed in the same, you know, 200 yard chunk of crumbles for the last two months. Well, after that morning, he's not going to do that ever again. So you got one shot at it. And if people mess you up, you're done. That's it. Whereas in this type of a scenario, when you're like, let's say above 13,000, 12, 13,000 feet, and you find a buck and you bump them traditionally, I'm going to know where his secondary bed is, where he's going to go after he got bumped. And I'll have an opportunity to hunt that, but I never want that opportunity. I want to get it done on the first chance because as soon as you start getting into that five and a half, six and a half year old age class, that deer becomes a much smarter animal when you get that one shot anyhow. And mm-hmm. so, so you do hunt the high country and desert. That's those are kind of two typical areas. Yeah, I mean, I hunt a little bit of everything. I hunt migration corridors in the late mm-hmm. season in the snow. Um, yeah. I, I tend to chase them all over. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I know I'm, I'm going around about in the answer. I don't really use that technique just simply because it's like, uh, you need to have the days to do that. Because if I were to go on a hunt and try and use that technique on a 10 day hunt, most of the time I'm going to come back with an unfilled tag. Right. They're yeah. going to win me like nine times out of 10, I'm going to get winded. You can't, you can't sit 50 yards away from a buck for very long, especially in the mountains and have that play off in your favor consistently mm-hmm. um, at least for me it's not i don't have that kind of luck mm-hmm. i always push the agenda i'm very aggressive on stocks if i don't have a shot shoot when a shot window i will back out reroute find a shot window and i know that that's not always possible in thicker oak pressure and coolies like it's mm-hmm. darn near impossible sometimes they have to make the first move so so when you, so when you shoot in the bed is, it, is your goal to shoot them when they're bedded or do you want them to stand up that was my question. Um, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I shoot uh, in the 90th percentile deer in their bed. Wow. Yeah. I shoot them right where they're sleeping. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's incredible. I, I haven't, I haven't, uh, man, I almost always wait them out. That's, that's interesting. Very. If I, if I waited deer out, to be honest with you, I probably would not come home. Uh, from as many states with as many yeah. animals, the yeah. wind's just too shifty. It does not yeah. consistently allow that for me. Um, yeah. I mean, usually in September we're dealing with thunderstorms, monsoons, mm-hmm. and if you spot a deer in the morning 
and it takes you an hour, hour and a half to get over to it because you have to drop 15, 1800 feet, then climb back up the top of the ridge and then stock back down in on it. You know, you're talking at least an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, and I always wait for diurnal shift to set in. Like there's no way I'm stop, starting to stock in the morning. So that's the other right. thing is I have, generally speaking, I'm hunting areas that are fairly unpressured so I can have a deer to myself. I can watch yeah. him. I can watch him do his daily routine, un, you know, unbothered. And then once the diurnal shift kicks in and I have steady wind and, and you know, it's really hitting my face solid, like at 11 o'clock, 1130. <laughs> And then I'll be in position by like 12, 1230, one o'clock. It's perfect. Right. Yeah. And I just, you know, he's got his chin in the dirt, his racks lay inside, you know, he's just, he's, he's out. And when you you get a deer in that situation, there's, there's no better time to put an arrow on him. He's, yeah. he's not going to do, yeah. you know. Um, Would you, do you ever uh, try to get the deer to stand by making some, you know, throwing a rock or, I mean, I've, I've heard of guys doing that stuff. No. No, yeah. no, so, no, because I'm, we want the element of surprise, right? And I don't want to give it up in any other way than an arrow yeah. going through them. Yeah, yeah. So, so even if you come down on a buck and you are now in a position where you're above them in their bed, but you don't have a lane to shoot, you would rather reposition for an angle than either wait them out or make an attempt to get them to stand. Um, yeah. Because I, yeah. again, again, I know. I know you sent me some pictures of deer bedded and you, it's a very rocky terrain where because of where you're at, there's, there's simply no way to get an arrow into them in their bed. Is that just in a, a reposition or how do you approach that situation? Generally reposition. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that I study angles of the animals bedded. Like I'm not just looking for that perfect broadside double lung shot i'm looking at what angle do i have vitals from any angle right. i'm gonna run an arrow i mean i run a slightly heavier arrow and Evan, you and i talk about this every year we put together a pretty um you know pretty awesome kit right yep. the bow is is really set up to be forgiving conducive to like you know longer shots um solid you know when it comes to like kinetic energy and things like that i'm shoot i'm running a I wouldn't say heavier than average. I would say my, my arrow is 442 grains. So that's just a good solid weight, but no. a lot of guys um, these days would call that ultralight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the thing is, is when it's you're perfect. Hunting desert, oh, it's awesome. When you're hunting, when you're hunting I, I ran one year, I ran the back when the spider was out, mm -hmm. I ran a 388 grain arrow. Yeah. Um, and, and man, that thing was blistering fast. And, um, had good success all season filled all my tags everything was great but i did notice that um you know when it came to crashing through you know crushing shoulders and and um getting through bone the way i wanted to sometime it lacked penetration when i when i did like 50 60 yard type shots yeah um and you know out west i mean you, you, you guys know it a lot of guys may not like it, but you know, I'll take an 80 yard shot if it's the right situation. Yep. And, and I'm not afraid of that. I just simply embrace and know uh, my limitations. And I've spent enough time uh, learning the behavior and understanding what I want out of a hunt to determine whether or not it's something within my capabilities. And I've learned that it with a heavier arrow, um, 
with a lighter arrow, it's, it's easier to get through like a hole. Let's say you have a 53 yard shot and you have this little foot wide hole in, in the Palo Verdes in the desert. And a lot of time you're shooting through holes in the desert and the brush too. Uh, you need it to shoot as flat as possible, but I would rather it be somewhere in between where I'm not, um, you know, where I'm not shooting something too heavy and I'm not shooting something too light where I'm right there in that nice sweet spot that gives me uh, a decently flat arrow inside of a nice range that I know that I can pull off the shot without having too much arc and having all these other branches and brush in the way to deflect mm-hmm. my shot. Yeah, 440 is still like in that range where you're getting great speed. My arrow is 420, so yeah, similar. You know, that's that's. Uh, I think that's pretty practical. I agree though on those longer shots. I get a little bit nervous with a really light arrow. Yeah, just again the potential because of how light it is, just to move around a little bit more. Um, yeah, and you know, Martin, like you said, you and I talk quite a bit about setups and things like that um i'm generally running you know 427 to 437 grains um this year i went on the light route my arrow finished at 411 mm-hmm. so and and that was that was with a lighted knock i just i changed shafts up went to a went to a six mil and had 50 grain brass on a lighter grain per inch setup and it actually pushed my foc a little bit 50 mm-hmm. grain brass with 100 grain um, and still finished at 411. So that sounds almost identical to my setup, Evan. Yep. Yeah. Do yep. you, Marlon, do you like shooting a uh, a bigger broadhead? No, I'm uh, shooting a one and eight cut diameter fixed blade. Uh, okay. Grim Reaper. Yeah. Okay. Four or three blade? Three. Three blade? Yeah. That's the micro, micro Hades. The micro Hades. Yeah. I'm, I'm such a. I'm such an old dog. Once I, once I learn something works for me, I kind of just have a tendency to stick with it. I'm not a a big gear test guy or, or anybody who really goes out and seeks out something new. Um, once I get really comfortable with something and I know it's performance value, I tend to stick with it and I'm very loyal. Um, Mm -hmm. so once I find something that works, boy, I'm kind of all in. Life, I have that right in my quiver at all times. But life. I also have some big nasty mechanicals that <laughs> they, they all impact the same place. So I can choose what, what I'm in the mood for. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. Um, do I want sushi? Do I want tacos? Do I want pizza yeah. right now? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's great. Alan. That's, my, my theory is that the bigger the animal or the longer the shot, the smaller the broadhead. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah, I can understand that. So I, 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 I grab, that. I have an assortment of three or four broadheads that all hit together. And anyway, well, so, um, so tell us a little bit about like some of your goals with mule deer hunting. I mean, you've killed. Uh, I, I mean, I saw somewhere somebody was saying you'd killed over fifty mule deer bucks. Is is that true? Or, or you know, tell us like what. You so gotta have some one goals, day, I imagine, to drive you to just continually go out and and chase big mule deer bucks. Um, one day, I'm actually gonna have to sit down and and just do a count. Like my problem is is that between running a business and my staff and just dealing with 
life. I, I don't sit down and do that, but I know it's for sure over 60 uh, at this point. Um, and that's just like, kind of like a rough off the top of my head count. Um, it, it's likely more than that. And I've been hunting since I was 28. I'm 44 now. So what is that? 16, 17 years, something like that. Um, I'm the kind of person that gets laser focused on things and I'm laser focused on anything I'm passionate about. And I don't deviate from that because I don't want to lose sight of my objective. My objective is to become, even if I'll never be a, a quote unquote master, my objective is to master myself in my decision-making in my process of choice, free will. And I've dedicated myself to certain pursuits out of life. Uh, you know, financial success and freedom is one, um, being a good father is another, uh, at the top of that is being a God fearing man, um, doing the right thing, focusing on making sure that, you know, I do everything I can to make this world better when you know i leave it than when i came into it and one of those things for me is just to focus on meal deer like i can't really explain why because i do put in just you know to fully dox it like i put in for almost every western state and i have a lot of points for as long as i've been hunting i have points in almost every western state for sheep uh billies elk you name it pronghorn I don't, I don't care if i ever hunt a pronghorn in my life if somebody wants my <laughs> one place, they can have them, you know? um but i figure hey one of these days when i'm like uh you know when, when my son's 12 or 14 or whatever and i have you know 20 pronghorn points if he wants to go shoot one we'll put in together i'll have a bunch of points he won't have any and you know hopefully we'll be able to split them and he can go out and i can take him on a pronghorn hunt whether i kill one i could care less I'm just kind of like thinking outside of the box that life always changes. And maybe my decision to want to go do something fun with family or a friend at some point in time might be indicative that I would do something like that. So I never leave it out of the question. It's just my simple personal pursuit is very in love with matching wits uh, with what I consider one of the most quintessential and beautiful animals um, that the mountains, mountains and deserts offer. And yeah. They're very smart. I love the fact that deer, I think that, you know, even if you're passionate about coos deer or whitetail, I think that, or blacktail mule deer, I think that they're all very, very keen. They're so tapped into their environment that on a hairpin, they, they make their choices and react to their environment with such connection. We can only wish we could connect with our partners with our business, with our life, as well as a, a, a mature deer connects with its environment. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they can feel energy. They can sense it before it happens. And, and I love, you know, like if a mule deer was a stock analysis, he would be the most successful and wealthy individual in the world because he just understands his environment so well. Whereas a lot of times we run into things disconnected. And I think that's why a lot of hunters don't have success they don't give themselves the opportunity to truly um, arrive in the arena and start beginning the process of absorbing the, the entire, everything that makes it up the ethos of that place. And once you become, begin to feel that place and you get to be in sync and in rhythm and you feel that pattern, like then you're in the zone. And, 
And I believe that getting in that zone is what creates success. And I just love that magical time when you're able to sync up and feel. And that's when I notice that I'm the most effective. Like Mm -hmm. if I don't allow for that time, if I just give myself three or four days for a hunt, sometimes I'm just getting synced up, you know, and, and I need a couple more days to sit there and say, okay, now it's game time. Yeah. Um, so for what it's worth. Yeah. That's man. That's well said. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was really, really cool to hear. Um, I like, I like that the connection with their surroundings, um, you know, having hunted, you know, elk and sheep and caribou and all the bears and, prong like in all north american animals there's nothing like deer the five species of deer are by far in my in my opinion the best game animal to you know just their senses their wariness all of that they're there's just a different level than anything else um that's that's great marlon i love what you said there so so what what uh last year or this 2022 Last season, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I had heard, like, we haven't talked about this, but I had heard you had a goal to harvest a really big buck. Um, can we talk about that? Yeah, man. I, um, so in, in years past, um, I'd been on hunts and for example, just a, like a couple of years ago, I was hunting a buck that was just shy 40 inches wide. He had um, double, double cheaters coming off his mainframe. <clears throat> yeah, it was a mainframe, uh, 36 inch buck. He ended up being just a touch over 40 inches wide with double droppers. He was like massive desert deer and he was a stud. Um, he grossed something like 216 and netted 209. He was killed by a rifle hunter who happened to be a buddy of mine. You hunted this buck. Yeah, we had him on camera. Like I knew where he was. Uh, I, I was in yeah. his living room. I saw him five days before I killed the deer. I did. Wow. And so, so here's the the funny thing about it is every year I find pretty decent bucks, um, solid ones. Every year I put eyes on like at least one nineties, and I, I generally speaking let a hunt get the best of me or my excitement get the best of me, and I end up you know coming home with like a a sub a sub but like just something that's not quite what, you know, I'm capable of mm-hmm. just because I love to hunt and I love success and I love, you know, the thrill of the moment. And, uh, you know, 170 or 180 oftentimes is, is plenty. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the, on the tail of this deer and I know that he's very killable. He's in a very killable spot, albeit lots of pinion and juniper, but, um, on a living with inside of a square mile. It's just, it's just his living room and I've got it honed in uh, pre-ruts just about to start. I know where his does live. Like it, it's just a matter of time. And I bring my son with me and we hunt all day and we pass on probably half a dozen bucks. And then right as the, right before the sun's going down, we have 30 minutes of light left. I spot, you know, this 28, 29 inch frame, double, uh, double kicker buck with a bunch of trash on his bases. And I look at him and I'm like, guys, ah, he's not good enough. He's not good enough. I, I'm hunting this, you know, this 40 inch stud with cheaters all over it and drop times. Like he's not good enough. And then I, and then my son's sitting there right next to me and he's looking at the deer through the glass and he's like, you know, just a little boy. He's, you know, I thought he's seven or something at that point in time. 
eight, maybe. Uh, he's just young. And he's like, what do you mean? Uh, that, that, yeah, that beer is big. You know? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's go get that beer. He was really disappointed in me. And, I, and I'm like, I can't, Wyatt. Like, I'm, you know, I'm on this giant. Like, I want to hunt this giant deer. And he's like, Dad, that's a big deer. And I look at him in his eyes, and, and he's as true as the North Star. You know, he just, he doesn't know anything different. He thinks I'm nuts. And I'm starting to sit there, and I'm, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror going, you know what? Making this memory right here of my son right now, like, forget that deer. I don't even care about that deer, whatever. So I'm like, let's go, buddy. And we bomb off the top of this ridge, and we get behind the other side and come up over the saddle about 700 yards away. And he's over the top. He's right next to me. And we're both breathing kind of heavy from running down the ridge. So we take a minute to like gain our breath, gain our composure. And we start sneaking. He's been going up mountains with me since he was four and a half. Um, so he knows, uh, you know, the art of the stock. He's, he's very diligent and he pays attention to his footing. And so we're creeping up over the top. And there he is at 71 yards feeding, kind of like feeding totally broadside left to right. And everything's perfect. No wind, mm. sun's about ready to go down, but we still have a little bit of shooting light. You can see the glow of the sun off his back. I'm like, man, there ain't no better time than to make a moment. And we made a moment together. I, I, I anchored that buck. Uh, I hit him in his shoulder, pinned both of his shoulders. He dropped and we ran down the hill and put another one in him at like 11 yards. Nice. <laughs> and, he was freaky. He was pumped. He's like, Oh my gosh, dad. And we were high fiving and hugging it. And this deer's like, you know, dead right there in front of us. And I'm like, dude, I could tell he was, he was gone. And so I poked his, you know, his eyes with my, my, uh, bow, just kind of touched the face with my cam just to make sure he was dead. And I'm like, dude, pick him up. And Wyatt, you know, he picked up the antlers and he's like, Oh my gosh, you're so excited. I'll tell you what, um, there is no better deer in the world and no deer I'm more connected with than that. So it's kind of like I've put myself in scenarios so often where I've come home with lesser bucks just simply because I wanted to make a memory that, and the memory has always been more important than the money. The memory has always been more important than the score. You know, the journey has always been more important than the things. And this year I was kind of like, well, okay. I've, you know, um, always put aside score to try and chase, or I've always put aside score to chase, you know, something that made me happy, something that I looked at, looked at and, and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Like, let's go off for that deer. Um, this year I said, I don't care what the score is, but you know, I want a six and a half, seven and a half, eight and a half year old animal. Like I didn't want a three and a half, four and a half year old deer. And a lot of the deer I shoot, let's face it or three and a half, four and a half year old deer. There's just not a lot of five and a half to six and a half year old deer on, um, opportunity hunts on over the counter or first come first serve basis in the West. That yeah. deer is a, yeah. he's an anomaly and they're not managed for that. Um, so this year I went off and set off on that pursuit. I passed, um, several dozen deer in the, in the three and a half, four and a half year old range this year. Lots of deer in the mid sixties, a couple deer in the mid seventies. I never saw anything over 180 this season. Um, you know, in all the states I went to. And and where I kill a lot of big mature desert deer, uh, got hit with a, a very significant drought where over 70% of the herd that I normally see was was vacant. There was just nothing there. Um, 
lots of fresh kills, lots of, uh, like, you know, lion kills, lots of, um, bones, um, and, and next to no activity. And the, the drought that came through these areas was so significant that I just think it killed off a lot of animals. Um, and that's, you know, where I've traditionally seen some incredible genetics. I thought I could get it done on a magical deer this year, but then we just never had the developing scenario happen where, um, we got the rain at the right times. We never got the rain at the right times. As a matter of fact, every time we needed it, it didn't happen. And in my head, I knew that my opportunity was diminished, but I put it off towards other States saying, okay, well, maybe I can make it happen in this other state. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because you have a bad drought doesn't mean there's no deer. It's just gonna make it tougher. There's still going to be a big deer somewhere, but generally slightly regressed or not quite the, the genetic expression in his potential, you know, that you would see in an optimum precipitation year. So I knew going into it, that it was going to be tough, but I was still, you know, up for the challenge. And I just simply was steadfast. I could easily have put another three or four deer on the ground, um, had the opportunity, stood at 36 yards on a beautiful mid 170 deer that just simply wasn't old enough. He, he had so much potential that I felt, if anything, I felt guilty. I'm like, yeah, you can't do this. Like, don't pay, you know, yeah. just to kill another one. Like you have something in you that is calling you to, you know, want the character that, that you like. I mean, I kill a few bucks where, you know, when you hold a, a buck with 42 inches of mass in your hands, it's just like, there's this feeling that's like, yeah, like five and a half inch eye guards, 42 inches of mass, just, and it's so heavy that, you know, like you palm a basketball, but these antlers just mm-hmm. are substantial. And then you mm-hmm. hold an average mass buck, which average mass is generally right around 32 to 34 inches. And you're just kind of like, eh, it, it doesn't, it's not the same thing. Right. You, you feel like you're holding like a little kid's hand versus like holding a man's <laughs> hand. Like it's like, you can feel the difference in just the character, the, 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 the palmation, the mass, the everything is just so different. Um, and I, I, I like the feeling of wrapping my hands around like something that's just, just a gnarly old beast versus, you know, just being successful for the sake of killing something. I, I didn't want that for this year's pursuit. There's an evolution there, Marlon, that, that I've personally felt. I, it sounds like, you know, you've been through that same thing and I've seen guys go through it where, you know, it goes from the thrill of the kill and, and, the experience and all of that, and that stuff just never ever goes away, but you start getting this new dimension of, you know, I want to, when I kill, I want it to be the right animal, the one that, you know, and usually age has a lot to do with it. it an older, very mature animal buck in this case. Um, and, and it just, you evolve to where you just, you crave that, you know, and things change because even though your skills as a hunter increase over the decades, as you get more and more selective, your success rate goes down. So here, here you are a better hunter than you've ever been. And you're killing less than you ever did. And that is that evolution, you know, and, and the whole idea you talked earlier about falling in love with a buck and then just pursuing that buck when we were talking about, you know, hunting more locally or whatever. Um, but that, that concept, like you, where you identify one specific animal that really turns your crank an old mature buck and you like focus on that buck. It's an amazing thing. 
And when it, when it happens, it's incredible, but people don't understand that most of the time you go home with nothing. Mm -hmm. When you make that decision, most of the time you go home with nothing and that's a big price to pay. And, and it's a very personal thing, whether or not that's worth it. You know, know, I'm just curious, Marlon, what was your, like looking back, was it worth it? I mean, but of course it didn't happen, right? You're saying it didn't happen. So are you going to do the same thing next year or or what are your thoughts? So I'm going to, this is so multi-tiered, bro. Like, so we're very, we're very similar in that, right? We're both, I, I would consider like myself a serial entrepreneur. Um, I love success. I love to win very competitive and I checked my ego at the door for all of it. Um, I'm a servant leader in my business, making sure that like my team has everything they need before I do work. I'm there before and thereafter they leave just to make sure that they know that, you know, I'm always driving the bus and always there to help. And that's encouraged me and given me a lot in the hunting side of things in that it's not always about me as I get older. And that's hard on multi levels because, you know, as men, as strong men that really do believe in work ethic and setting up the example to tee off success in the right direction in anything we do, you, you want to succeed, but you're absolutely right. When you set goals and that target is something that is above and beyond what most are the price that most are willing to pay. I can only answer that question with absolutely it's worth it. Alan. It's worth it because I've been in a situation where I've hunted a deer for 17 days straight after I first saw him blown an opportunity, decided not to hunt anything else and dedicated myself to hunting that deer. And on the 17th, they killed him. And he was a 32 and a half wide, 32 and a half inch wide double cheater buck with 40 inches of mass and giant hook cheaters. And like, he's just quintessential. What you would sit there and say is like, you know, the, the, the goal and i want that to happen every year but there's just no way to make that happen every year because those deer don't happen every year for you know i don't care how hard you work like you'd have to be paying a lot of money and an army of guys to be able to make that repeat every year like right. you you can probably do it and i know people that do and you know kind of that's the recipe right you need everybody and their uncle on the mountain looking for you and uh, you know, you need to give it the whole season and it's a different animal. If you were going one-on-one or maybe with a buddy or you're just trying to be passionate and dedicated, that's just not going to happen. But in order for it to happen, you certainly have to dedicate yourself to that cause. You're never going to make it happen if you just sit there and settle for the next 170 that walks around the corner. And to be clear, no, that's a bad it, can, it can happen occasionally with just you and the buddy, but you're saying to make it happen every year, you would have to engage a lot of people and spend a lot of money. I, I believe so. After hunting many years on many tags on public land to kill that caliber of deer, it, it, in order to be scalable, you need mm-hmm. team. You, it's more yeah. than just about me. Right. Uh, it's a team that, that needs to come together to help on that because it's just, yeah. they're just a, there's not enough of those deer to go around. And if there are, then other people are certainly going to be hunting them, pushing them, bumping them in order to have consistency behind that. You need to have people and eyeballs to be able to cover the terrain in a manner that, uh, facilitates your ability to get back on that deer after it's been bumped by other people. So, 
Yeah. You you either have to have a strong team, but if it's just you one-on-one trying to go hunt a giant like that every year, like I don't know anybody. I'm, I mean, look, as far as being into bow hunting for less than 20 years and killing as many of these things as I have, I got to be honest. Like I don't, I still don't know many people that are as dedicated to chasing mule deer. Um, and, and I don't know anybody that does what I'm talking about every year without paying a lot of money. I, and mm-hmm. I've done my research. Like it's mm-hmm. not a, this is not an educated guess. This is a, this is a, it's a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you know them, please let me know because I'd love to talk to them. Let me throw a name out. I mean, uh friend of mine that I've had on this podcast a couple of times, but, but he's, he's hunting one specific area and he's putting massive amounts of like all summer scouting. And that'd be Randy Homer. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's hunting a world-class deer every year, but he's not hunting multiple States and he's not like spreading himself out that way. And he's hunting a unit. You know, I, I, I believe you know, a reasonably priced landowner tag in a unit that can produce that kind of buck, but you probably need 30, 40 days of scouting to find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very, very, very uh, knowledgeable, um, on Randy's tactics and the, and the vouchers that he gets and where and how many and the crew. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very, but again, there's a team there. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. There's a team there. And gotcha. I'm not taking away from the skill set. The skill set's no. like Mark's it's second to none. Like you want to talk about an incredible hunter. I mean, I've interfaced with Randy a few times and he's an incredible human being. Um, but again, the fun the funds are there, the time's there, and the team is there. It's not a solo endeavor. Yeah, that's that's really good insight, man, for sure. Um, you know, and and uh there, there's, there's just a, there's a lot that goes into these decisions, like how you want to approach the game, right? Do you want to put all of your resources into one particular animal and whether that means like taking all of the money you would have spent hunting five, six States and putting it into one state into the right area with the right team to make that happen? Or do you want to go out and enjoy, you know, five or six tags? And like, these are just very, very personal decisions and there's no right or wrong answer. Just how do you want to skin it? Right. hundred percent, hundred percent. I, so that's been my challenge, uh, to be honest is, um, you know, I know that success on very, very large deer is scalable. Um, if you're willing to spend the money to do it, like, could I go to three different States and hunt 200 inch deer in all three of those States? Absolutely. The price yeah. tag on that's probably going to be around a hundred grand, possibly yeah. more, hundred fifty right. grand. Right. Um, that's just the facts. Like if if if, and there's no nobody that can tell me any different at this point in time. Not after the amount of time I've spent in the mountains. After it, you might get lucky on one, do it yourself on your own, once every five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. if you want to do it every year, uh, consistently, and you want to just focus on those deer it's going to be a team and there's going to be a significant, I mean, you know, this, gosh, I mean, we, mm-hmm. I've, I, I get the offers. People will say, Hey, you, you know, I got this deer. It's going to cost X. Uh, you want to come hunt it? And I'm like, no, I'm good. Not, not because I don't want to, I do want to, but I have this thing about, you know, I've never gone guided once I've never paid to go hunt. 
uh, I've always just bought a tag and done it myself. And even if that means I just have a bunch of one eighties and one nineties sprinkled in, or, or a bunch of one seventies and one eighties sprinkled with a few one nineties, then that's fine with me. Yeah. Um, but like, I kind of like look up the ceiling at night and feel a lot better knowing that like I've accumulated those skills. So when the time comes that I do want to stop, start dropping some money and I, and I probably will, I'm, I'm just kind of mm-hmm. just sitting there saying that, you know, at some point in time, I'm going to want a few of those deer. Yeah. Um, and I may want them more consistently. Like you said, it's not, not right or wrong. It's just a matter of whether you want right. to do it or not. And I think that, you know, I'm getting closer to saying, yeah, you know what? I'd like to go hunt a couple of those animals and see what that's like. I know that I have the skill set that I've spent the years honing uh, my abilities to know very confidently that if I go see that deer, um, I know the outcome is that's more important to me than I think than the other way around. I just don't want my hand held and somebody say, okay, we need to go here and do this and do that. It's just a very strange thing to, well, to there, there are opportunities where, you know, you may, for example, pay for some landowner access, but you can still hunt on your own and, and mm-hmm. hunt a different class of animal, you know, and I do that from time to time. And, you know, I, I really like your answer on all of this, Marlon. I feel like it, what you just said, it was a very honest approach to like the realities of, of trophy hunting and there's trade-offs and, you know, I, I personally, I don't judge people on either side. Like, I, I think it's ridiculous to do that. You, you, you make these decisions and there's no right or wrong answer. You do, people should do what, what's that saying? You be you, right? 100%. And, yeah. That's, and, that's what people got to do, you know? And, it, and, and if you've, I mean, if you have the resources, whether it's, again, what is a resource? What's it's time, it's money. It's, you know, if you have the resource of, I have the, I have the cash or the money available to do something like that. And I've worked for it. Then yeah. I'll tell go you, treat it's yourself. Still, it's still if, extremely resource like Marlon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, let me yeah. just add this in, like, you know, I'm not, I, I, I don't want to be polarizing here with this. And to be quite honest, like you work for whatever you desire in life. For example, like a lot of people are going to look at, you know, us and say, well, you work in the hunting industry, you have your own businesses, you hunt 200 days a year. Like that's not fair. I'm like, if I can get two weeks a year off, you know, where somebody might sit there and say, well, to pay, you know, a hundred grand for a 200 inch deer is crazy. Like what's the definition of crazy? I mean, at the end of the yeah. day, we're living a dream, but we're living a dream based off of the fact that uh, we've designed our lives this way. And we spent years right. um, to design our life that way. There's, it, more it to hunting than hunting. There's more to hunting than hunting. Thousand you know, percent. My dad was a house painter. I didn't come from money, but you know, I went out and hustled. And the reason I hustled was because I wanted to hunt. You know, there's more to hunting than hunting. It's all part of the hunt. In fact, when I go to work, it's part of the hunt. That's it. And and you said you, you could not have said it any better. I've engineered my life over the last 20 years to be able to just kind of do what I want to do. And, and that in itself for me is, you know, a tremendous blessing. I mean, Evan, Evan of all, of all people, Evan, we've known each other arguably, arguably long enough to where, I was darn near setting up my first bow around you. Like, so it's been about f- 15 years, 16? Yeah, it's been almost since inception. You've seen the whole journey for me. And when I first started, like, I remember I was hustling mortgages on the phone. 
like in a cubicle mm-hmm. trying to make money so I can go hunt before I'm like, okay, this is not my highest and best use, you know, and you can either focus on working your tail off for somebody else's dream for whatever compensation you might feel is fair for that exchange, or you can work really hard for yourself. Either way, it's going to be hard. Just choose your heart. And I decided to embark on that journey of, you know, creating a little bit more freedom and latitude in my life to be able to do things I love versus um, money. And I think that you don't, you don't earn money and you don't chase money. You attract money. That's what I think. And money only follows you if you have value to offer. Really, at the end of the day, if you have no value to offer, um, then you're not going to attract money. And, and the name of the game is attraction, not earn. The moment you sit there and think in terms of salary, the moment you think in terms of how much am I going to earn or you know, uh, what am I worth or what is my time worth, then you, you've missed the bus altogether. Like there's this change that happens and it directly correlates to hunting. There's no two ways about it that, you, you know, it's, it's how do I provide value to a larger audience of people that can garner something from me that I possess that, that will directly help them uh, in their life. And if I can do that, and especially things like microtransactions that allow you to do that in a scalable fashion that prove presents value to people, then, you know, you're, you're building your value, you're making your luck and you're able to live the life that you want because you're you're building that value. And that's a thing I think a lot of people fail to understand is that when you hunt and you want to be in the field and be successful in the field, it requires that same set of rules. You have to grow in your acumen. You have to possess the instinct. You must understand how to execute on it. And all of your equipment must be in you must know it through and through. And that I think correlates very well in everything else in your life. If you're really good at business, you're going to be really good at hunting. Your instincts are going to be honed and you pay attention to the details. You pay attention to others, meaning your team is always going to feel like you have their back. And when you have your team's back in hunting, they're going to have your back in the time that you need it. So it's, it's like, I think it's all like very connected. Um, and something that I pay attention more and more and more to the more gray hair I get in my chin. Hmm. That's well said. I, I definitely, it's all connected Marlon. So about creating value for people. Um, tell us about the app you're developing. Uh, it came to me about two years ago. Um, I started thinking about it and I, to be honest, I should have done it sooner, but you know, that's neither here nor there. It's all about execution. I, I don't have a big following on, on social media. It's a modest following, but I've, you know, gotten a very, solid uh following of people who are always asking me questions um so by the way for the listeners uh where can you be found on on social media because it's not under marlon holden yeah marlon holden is my uh, fine art business uh marlon holden is landscape photography in my gallery Mm -hmm. um which if you're a hunter don't even bother going there and following that because i you know, I'm not going to respond to hunting inquiries on my, my business page. It's uh, at gray light hunter, G R A Y L I G H T H U N T E R. But about two years ago, I, I decided that, um, you know, I get so many questions asked and, and to the tune of, of thousands, like literally thousands, um, of questions. I can't answer them. I'm busy, uh, in multiple areas, not only hunting, but in the field, you know, I'm always off grid shooting photography in different parts of the world. I try and travel to, um, six to eight different countries a year, uh, New Zealand, Tasmania, Faroe Islands, Iceland, Canada, just 
trying to capture these landscapes for, um, you know, different uh, artwork collections and then interfacing with my collectors and the interior designers that we work with. And it's like to sit there and answer stocking questions or boot questions or wind questions or mule deer behavior questions. I'm like, I don't have the bandwidth for this, but I don't want to be rude. So I try right. to do everything I can to make sure that I engage and that I'm upfront and honest and do the best I can to give good information. Or I'm like, you know what? I just need an app. I need an app that will allow people that do want to further their learning. And here, and, and let me take a step further with this. Um, I think that, you know, I tried to do a master class once where I got a bunch of people. I took them out to the desert and taught them, you know, how to hunt the desert. But to be honest with you, there's only so much that you can teach in two or three days. And, and they don't cover the nuances of what the hunt really encompasses. There's so much that's left out that is that truly that those decisions that you make on the fly when you're on a stock or when you're watching the conditions develop, you're watching the monsoonal clouds gather, you're listening to the thunder, you're watching a deer bed, you're feeling the wind shift. Should I stock? Should I not stock? What's the scenario? Um, there's so much that happens that's intuition and on the fly that I'm like, there's no way you can do a course or a masterclass for this. There's too much that's going to be left out. The app is an evolution. It's an evolution and a process. And I'm not going to be the same person today than I am in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Let's hang out together and hold hands through this process through the next 50 archery mule deer. I'm going to evolve and change and I'm going to show you what goes on in my head. Might, might not be the right way, you know, might, might not be your way, uh, might not be, you know, anybody's particular way, but it will give that person that truly is interested in understanding what goes on inside of my head, what I'm looking to accomplish and, and have some real time feedback on uh, what happened during these hunts. They're able to follow along on that. And if I see something that, is useful as it pertains to the hunt or behavior or terrain or navigation or mountain safety or, you know, bow tuning or insights on uh, particular strategies. Uh, I want to be able to take a very candid, very real one to five minute video with my iPhone and I'm going to upload it and be like, Hey, um, you know, we're up here at 12, six. Um, I'm noticing that, you know, this particular, uh, basin with willows looks absolutely beautiful, but look at these, look at the side sides of these willows. You see how they're all bushy and they're, they're very, uh, fluffy. They're light. There's no pruning here. We're, you know, mid August, if there was deer holding in this, you would see, uh, lots of, of cut, like almost like a gardener or a landscaper came by and, and started eating, eating off these willows. So a good way for you to like go in somewhere and take a look at something and see whether or not they're holding or not would be to take a look at how the willows are and, and whether they're focused in on these willows or not looking for beds, looking at different signs and indicating whether or not that's a used basin or not a used basin. And, and, you know, I might just upload something like that, just little pieces of intuition. Like for example, a lot of guys, you'll see them with their, their bow quiver, the hood of the quiver up. They, they strap it to their pack and the quiver is on top. No, you got to turn it upside down. You got to put the hood down. So that, that way gravity allows the arrows to go down into the hood. And, uh, you don't have the, the chance of one of the arrows working themselves loose to where the broadheads kind of hanging out of the hood and can cut your bus cable or your string. Um, and I have somebody that's, 
or yourself. And, and I've had, yeah, I've had you know, friends that that's happened to. And so I've seen it and I'm like, you know what, these are just little things that I see happen all the time. And guys don't maybe necessarily know yet, but they'll learn. I'm going to help them avoid uh, a painful mistake of being on that hunt. They wished to be on for years, save that money. Now they have the time off of there and they shot in that bowstring for the last two months. Who wants to shoot in a new bowstring in the middle of hunt? let alone can you get one it's like yeah that's like probably something i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy you know it's like gosh that's a pain that i don't want to feel so if i can throw little things out there that help guys and know that it's going to be a trickle flow of information it's going to be a steady iv you're not going to get like volumes and volumes and volumes of the last 20 years dumped on you all at once it's just going to be a nice trickle flow all year long of information and for the price of not even a tank of gas, you get me for a full year. So it's, it's just available to those that um, you want to develop a little bit of a higher uh, learning and skill set about this. Now there's going to be a lot of basic stuff like Alan, you'd go on and be like, okay, I mean, I know most of this stuff already, so I'm not going to be There's super always useful. a different way to look at things. I mean, uh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. totally. I agree. Yeah. So, so it's one of those well, things. Really like cool. I, yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. I'm excited to see that. Um, I'm, I'm going to check it out. So when, when do you plan to launch it? Oh, it's launched. Oh, it's launched. Um, okay. Yeah, Sorry. I was understanding uh, you were in the process of launching. Okay. Yeah, no, it's launched. It's, it, well, so I've been very strategic in holding yep. it. It just, we just got approved with Google play yesterday. Okay. Gotcha. And we just, we just got, we, we were approved on Apple for iOS last week oh okay so it just launched just okay yeah Yeah. just so we're right there like it's not like it's been out there for a month or anything i just haven't said a word yet um and you know that's part of coming on here with you guys and talking to you i wanted to introduce uh everyone to it and talk a little bit about the hunt and um yeah i'm sure there's a link link to get to it off of your instagram account so everybody can check that out there will be a link and a QR code on the IG account. Um, there will be a, you know, when it drops, um, you know, we'll let everybody know. But there's also, you can go to graylighthunter.com. And under graylighthunter.com, there's a tab that says uh, Graylight app. Right. And you can see the QR codes and the, the links and, and all that there. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send more literature out to you. So that way you can take a look. And, and half the time here on these things, I mean, I'm going to be like fresh out of my razor with a nice coat of dust on me. And my big eyes are, are my eye cups like are so old that they leave this black residue about around my eyes. You're going to get some pretty candid. Well, Marlon, yeah. I'll tell you, man, this has been very impressive. I, you know, I, I knew you were killing the heck out of the mule deer. I did not know that that was all self-guided on, on general tags and, and tags you've drawn, but like the normal process. And, uh, like, that's awesome, man. You're doing a great job. Um, it's, it's really cool to see. I imagine this, you know, this journey you've been on the last 16 years has been pretty incredible and you've learned a ton. And and the fact that you're willing to share a lot of that, I think it could benefit a lot of people. So we really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Um, it's really, really great episode. I think I'm sure everybody enjoyed it. So, so we got today, fellas. Thanks. Appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, Alan, Evan. I mean, honestly, I, I I haven't had a chance to you know 
uh, talk with you or interact much. And, and it's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to connecting with you in the future. And, and thank you both for having me on. Thank you, Evan. Thanks, guys. Absolutely, buddy. It's a pleasure.